This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Xero. As an accountant, when you join Xero, you'll gain access to a full range of practice management tools so you can manage your practice and your clients from almost anywhere. To learn more about building a better practice with Xero, visit cloudaccountingpodcast.com slash join Xero. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.com forward slash J-O-I-N-X-E-R-O. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Blake, you're on the road. Are you home now? On the road? I am back in Los Angeles. I was at AICPA Engage briefly this week, drove out on Monday morning early, and then drove back Tuesday late, which was nice because there was no traffic and I was able to get back home really fast, under four hours. So it's a four-hour drive then, LA to Vegas? Yeah, depending on traffic. It can be anywhere from uh, three and a half to five and a half hours, depending on uh, traffic, like everything in Los Angeles. All right. You know, I drove because I didn't know how long I would be staying at the conference. Unfortunately, this podcast is not my full-time gig, and I do have a day job at Flowcast. We were exhibiting at Engage, but it's not a big conference for us, and so I wasn't doing any speaking. I, I didn't have any like real reason to be there because we did have account managers who were you know going to be there at the booth. Uh, but I, I went to record a bunch of podcast interviews live uh, using our new mobile podcast studio rig, which actually worked. So this was sort of like a practice for ZeroCon and also a chance to interview a bunch of really great folks in the profession like... Uh, Caught up with Ryan Lozanis and Megan Lefchik, uh, also Rachel Fish and Liz Mason and Byron Patrick and Jason Deshays. So managed to wrangle that all together, and uh, those interviews will be dropping shortly. So I'm excited to see the uh, the new the new rig, yeah, and the quality differences because you know obviously, obviously next week I'm heading to uh, Scaling New Heights in the beginning of the week, and then I leave to race to ZeroCon. And so we have lots of interviews scheduled those weeks, but I don't have the rig. So it's going to be interesting <laughs> for listeners will be able to detect like, oh, here's the interviews David did without the new rig and the ones yep. we do together with the new rig. So so uh, it was really fun. Great to see everybody. I wish I could have stayed for Wednesday, which is like, you know, the big keynotes and all that stuff. So I'll just have to read about it online, unfortunately. Follow the hashtag on Twitter, AICPA Engage, if you want to check that out as well. Unfortunately, they they actually have an online option. You can you can watch online, or you can you can register for AICPA Engage and attend online. And I tried to do that. I thought when I got back, because I was registered as a on site attendee, I could just go and watch the live stream. But apparently, I couldn't figure out how to do that. I don't know. I, don't, I guess you have to choose one or the other. Maybe you have to pay, sign up again, register again, and pay. Right. So uh, obviously, I didn't want to do that. So I missed the keynotes. But uh, uh, you know. The beauty of the internet is I can just follow along on social media and all the accounting publications are there, of course. So, Yeah, you just get three or four tweets of that keynote and you got it nailed down. Like yeah. you don't have to attend. Well, and you know, it, it's, it's, it's nice perfect. too, because a lot of times, you know, you'll take a keynote with like one big thing. And of course, <laughs> you know, the event organizers will stretch it out to fill an hour. But this way you can just read, you see that one tweet. Oh, here's the big news. And actually, David, you spotted some of that news, which I missed while I was at the event because I was, you know, in the podcast booth. There was some news made at Engage. Yeah, I think the the piece I saw is a, the AICPA is going to. I'm going to use the word own, mm-hmm. manage, right? Uh, distribute. Um, there's lots of ways to uh, to frame this. There's top level domains, so this would be like .dot com, mm-hmm. uh, .info, .gov, and so over the last few years, the uh, 
the governing body of internet domains, ICAM, has created, they've allowed like 1,200 specialized domains to get created. So you could get like uh, .kp, .kpmg, right, uh, .nyc. So there's tons and tons of these domains out yeah. there. Well, apparently in 2014, the AICPA started working with ICANN to get a .cpa top-level domain. So you'd have BlakeOliver.cpa. Ooh, that sounds, I like the sound of that. And I what caught my eye, A, I was surprised because did not know this was coming and now it's really truly coming and but what come out about it is like i'm not sure and i browsed the list of these top level domains mm-hmm. and domain names and i don't really see any other professional organizations like the american association of dentists is not owning the dot dentist domain oh yeah so you were surprised because you didn't know this was like possible that a professional organization could just own distributing out all the subdomains on a top level domain and, and, and uh, yeah, so I, I should I, say domain names on a top level domain. And so clarify this for me. The AICPA doesn't issue you your CPA. Your uh, state does. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, so state states license CPAs and the AICPA is, is a national professional organization where you have to be a CPA to be a member. Well, they have different member types, but to be a you know full member, you have to be a licensed CPA. I, I believe <laughs> I should know this. So Matt, so... So essentially, they're not going to let anybody get this domain unless you're in the association. Yes, I think we I have imagine. to be a. I'm a. Ma- I guess you know. I think it would be smart, right? If they want more members, then they would. You'd have to be a dues-paying member to get one of these domains. And then, as soon as your dues expire, do they just turn off your website? I guess. The- I, I just find it. It's. It's just. It's. It feels an interesting because I haven't seen like an organization like this control a top-level domain. If there's an example out there, please somebody let me know. I tried to tweet about it. Nobody responded. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I- you know where yeah. this is at, and they're trying to catch worldwide. Um, they're going to catch uh, all the CPAs, CAs, yep. yeah, all the CPAs worldwide on this. Um, how do you feel? I mean, is this something like going back to when you had your practice? Is something you'd want to take advantage of? Do you want to have your email address be well, Blake at? I'll, I'll say this: if there is going to be a .cpa domain, top level domain, then yes, somebody needs to manage it and make sure that only CPAs are using it. Otherwise, it's super confusing to consumers. And prospects. So I'm glad that the AICPA is doing this and taking this on. I think it's fantastic. And it it's actually an example of value created by having your CPA license. You get one of these really cool top-level domains. That's to me, it's even better than dot com. Uh, and because it shows your your license and your designation. You have these letters you worked really hard to get. Credibility. And it's it's in- and, and, and is this something that that accountants and the AICP CPA think is valuable or do they really think like consumers small businesses are like oh it's a dot cpa domain they must be qualified uh I, I i don't know i mean we do know that like the cpa has incredible brand name recognition so if you have it it is important to show it off and make sure that people know you are one so i i think it's good uh and it it actually ties into a theme of the conference, at least for me personally, I can't speak to everybody else. I was just there and it's a huge conference with 7,000 people. But one of the things that I was thinking about a lot when I was at Engage was the value of the CPA license. Uh, listeners of the show may know that I started out my career in accounting as a bookkeeper, built a practice without being a CPA while I was in school, got kind of delayed in that whole 
journey because I was building a business and then I got a job. I got a job at a big firm. I got to the point where I was a manager at a top 25 firm and I didn't have my CPA. And I was sort of thinking to myself, do I even need this? Is it even worth going through all the trouble of sitting for the exams? If you wanted a website that had that CPA, <laughs> you have no choice now. Yeah. And, and for me, the decision of whether or not to get it was hard because I'm not in tax or audit. I'm a tech guy. That's why this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast at the intersection of technology and accounting, right? And uh, the CPA is traditionally for folks who start their careers, at least in audit or tax. So I was thinking while I was at Engage, because it was my first year as at Engage, and I haven't been actually a CPA for all that long, what do I think now um, about the value of the license? Part of the reason I was thinking about this is because I've been getting a few emails recently from listeners, readers, asking, I'm a tech-focused accountant. I'm on the client accounting services side, the bookkeeping side. These are younger folks. This uh, one guy in particular, his name is Jonathan, and he emailed me last week and said, you know, thank you for sharing your story and insightful opinions. I currently work in the accounting team of a, a, of a company, and I also run a virtual bookkeeping company on the side. I resonate with your story as I consider myself to be a growing financial technologist. I have a bachelor's in finance, yet all my experiences in accounting don't have the CPA license. And I started my bookkeeping earlier this year for the exact reasons you did to disrupt the model of traditional firms, CPAs included, with enhanced culture and current technologies. So he says, as I grow in knowledge and skill in the accounting, finance, and technology space, I'd love to ask, knowing what you know now, especially with the advancement of technology, would you still get your CPA license today if you didn't have it? If so, would you go about obtaining the license today differently than you did initially? I imagine technologists would take more away from licensed CPAs than unlicensed accountants. So that's the email I got. And I responded and I said, I didn't have a lot of time. So I, I wrote a few sentences and I said, Listen to yeah. the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I said to him, in retrospect, I would do it again because I think that having CPA after my name has given me credibility with other accountants in general, right, with the accounting community. And it was worth it, I guess, from that perspective. But it was a lot of time and effort and money. So I happen to have the time to do it because I had sold my business. And I so I had both the time and the resources to take time off and just get it done. Actually, I don't know. Like if if that hadn't happened to me though, I'm not sure I would would have done it because you don't need it. And this to me is... And you've talked about this in the past about the CMA. Right. People getting that because they make more money. Right. So, well, um, CMAs are, are... The CMA designation is growing and it has a big advantage over the CPA. So CMA, Certified Management Accountant, CPA, Certified Public Accountant. The CMAs tend to work in industry. It's a nationally uh, licensed... Or it's a nationally, I don't know if license is the right word. It's it's a national organization, right? It's not done on a state-by-state -state level. The exam, it, it, because it's national, it means that the exam is much easier for them to change and modify as technology advances. Um, it's much easier for folks who are international to take it because you can take it in your own language. They do it outside the U.S. Um, so it's, it's a lot more flexible. And the CMA has been growing, whereas the CPA has pretty much stagnated in terms of growth over the last 10 years or so. You can actually see this. I'll put this in the show notes. It's a chart of the number of CPA exam candidates by year that 
Accounting Today put together from NASBA data that just shows the the numbers kind of varying between 900,000 and 100,000 about and not really changing all that much from 2012 to 2017. And yet all these baby boomers are retiring who are CPAs and we don't have enough to replace them. You know, a lot of this could be because of the 150 hour requirement that now you have to basically do five years of education in order to sit for the CPA exam. That doesn't help, especially when you don't have to do that for a competing designation or a competing license. And again, the the exam has not yet adapted in terms of the curriculum to prep for it or the actual exam itself to address technology, which is growing, right? It's growing. The tech consulting side of, of accounting is growing really fast, whereas audit and tax is shrinking due to that same technology. You just don't need as many CPAs or accountants to do the work anymore. So I've been thinking, thinking a lot about this. Uh, And if you want to read a great discussion of how much is the CPA exam worth in 2019, there's an article on accounting today with exactly that title. That's a summary of a roundtable hosted by Surgent, which is a CPA exam prep course company. And there's a lot of great input um, from folks who attended the roundtable from both uh, tech companies and big firms and smaller firms talking about uh, what do they think. Susan Crossan, director at the Center for Advancing Accounting Education, said, quote, I wonder sometimes if the CPA exam is sometimes viewed more narrowly because its original scope was to prepare people for the audit profession. And maybe that could be one reason why less students are taking the exam, unquote, which is like completely obvious to me, right? Is this like, this is not a major revelation, right? Yeah. (laughs) So that's what I was saying earlier, right? That CPA is traditionally oriented toward audit and tax. And yeah, if if you're not in that anymore, then um, why would you do it? Especially if firms need your talent and they're going to drop their requirement that you have one. Some more quotes here. Mark Maybury, Strategic Initiatives Director for the Assurance Office of Tomorrow at BDO, said, when I took the exam, it was a rite of passage. Unless they're going into public accounting and auditing, maybe there isn't enough incentive to really pursue the CPA anymore. It used to be the thing to get, and I don't think it is anymore. That's a a pretty uh, brutal statement coming from a director at BDO, top 10 firm. Rick David, chairman of top 100 firm UHY International, said, back in the old days, you wanted to work your way to partner. These days, college graduates come into the firm not with the partner expectation or desire. They want a different approach to their careers, and we need to adapt to that. And then, go ahead. Something's striking me. like You're reading these quotes from people in the profession from uh, a panel talk. Yeah. And I'm kind of thinking, like, has nobody built an Excel spreadsheet yet? where you can just put in what you want to do, what you need to do, uh, your current salary, your education level, and it'll just pump out an answer at the bottom of the spreadsheet that says, yes, you should get your CPA or no, it's a waste of your time. <laughs> now you've given me a good idea, David. We should do that, All right? Like, let's, let's, let's quantify this. Well, it's, I mean, at some level, I think this is a numbers decision, yeah. right? For numbers people to make, like somebody has got had to have already built a spreadsheet like this on their own personal level. Well, so it does dramatically increase your earning potential to have the CPA, to ha- but the CMA also increases your earning potential. And of course, having both does even more. Uh, so you, but the question is, coming out of school, is it better to go get that job, work in, in tech and accounting 
uh, and just not get your CPA, maybe you'd be better off accelerating your career that way rather than doing an extra year in school and then having to take the exams, which is a huge pain in the butt. Interestingly, there was there was not like this kind of panel discussion at Engage, of course, because it's an AICPA event and you're not I wouldn't expect to see the AICPA questioning the value of its own license, right? Uh, but there were some hints of this in the coverage of the event. Accounting Today wrote an article covering Susan Coffey's session on Sunday, which I uh, I missed that because I came out on Monday, but I did get to read this very detailed article about it with some quotes from her. Uh, Susan Coffey is the executive vice president of the AICPA. She did a session about how trust in the accounting profession has the potential to create value and opportunity in audit and assurance services. So this is about the future of assurance of audit. And she started out by saying that accountants are the most trusted professionals in the country after doctors, which I think a lot of us realize and know. And that's one of the great reasons to get your CPA, uh, but that we aren't doing enough when it comes to using technology in audit. According to a KPMG and Forbes report that she cited, uh, 78% say that auditors should be using more sophisticated technologies for data gathering and analytics. Uh, 94% of executives feel that advanced technologies promote the quality of the audit. 47% say that auditors should perform an even deeper analysis. Uh, so she, her, the point of her presentation, it, it appears, was that data analytics can enhance traditional audit procedures. And she said something really interesting in, that was kind of buried in the middle of this article. She said that analytics has the capacity to one day eliminate the need for human verified audits, which is goes exactly to the point that audit and tax are shrinking because the more automation you have in this traditionally very manual job of verifying information, the less need you have for CPAs to be doing it. What, what's, what's amazing is that she said that we have to change in order to prevent you know, this, this, change, this, this decline in audit. The recommendation is to adopt technology and to you know, enable this sort of learning, become experts uh, in tech. But, uh, you know, here we are with a CPA exam where there's almost no technology in, in the exam. And most accounting curriculum is completely, technology is just an afterthought. It sounds like a little of that was the typical conference talk, right? Oh, adopt technology, become an expert. Right. It, it, it feels just like like not very concrete of like what steps the profession should be doing. Right. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you and I can solve that. Um, and I do think like at some level, like well, this question is going to continually be here. This is a, like, is a, this is a podcast about accounting and technology, the intersection of those yep. two things. Right? That's why it's yep. called the Cloud Accounting Podcast. And to me, it's crazy that the exam, you know, after 10 years of or more of, of cloud. 10 years ago, it got really good, but we could argue that it's been possible for 20 years now uh, that the exam still has very little tech focus. It's still audit. It's still regulation, which is just another word for tax. It's still uh, financial, which is gap accounting. And then we've got BEC, business environment, which is general business law and all that stuff, right? So, you know, there's no technology section and it's going to be impossible to create one because the CPA is licensed on a state-by-state -state basis. And so you'd have to get every single state to agree to change the sections in the exam because a lot of times that's written into law in those states. So that's just, you know, mm -hmm. le legislatively impossible. But I do have a little bit of good news in this front. 
the Journal of Accountancy. Okay. The Journal of Accountancy reports that the AICPA and NASBA, the National Association of State Boards of Accountancy, have started to seek feedback from the profession and its stakeholders as they consider ways to evolve the model for initial CPA licensure to support a growing need for new skills amid rapid technological advancement. This just happened on Wednesday. The NASBA and AICPA issued a request for input to a website called evolutionofcpa.org. And uh, they're looking for feedback from people in the profession and stakeholders as to how should we change the initial licensure model, which pretty much means the CPA exam is a big part of that. So if you want to share your thoughts, you can go to evolutionofcpa.org and you can put in your thoughts. Hopefully, this is the beginning of a significant change that needs to happen for CPA licensure to ensure that tech gets in there. And, and if you go down to the frequently asked questions, there's a lot about that. Um, I'll just read this one here. Question, why does CPA licensure need to evolve? Answer, the environment in which CPAs operate is changing at a rapid pace. Innovations in artificial intelligence, automation, and data analytics are creating new opportunities for CPAs, both in terms of the types of services they perform and in how those services are delivered. At the same time, clients and organizations are demanding services that require expertise in technical areas such as information technology, cybersecurity, system and organization uh, controls reporting, also known as SOC, IT governance, and data analytics. The profession must embrace these changes to maintain its strength and be prepared to support evolving business needs while continuing to serve the public interest. That's why NASBA and the ASCPA are working to evolve licensure requirements for new CPAs so the profession can continue to effectively meet the needs of organizations, employers, and the public. So they know there's a problem. I'm glad that feedback is happening, although I am somewhat pessimistic about the amount of time this might take to actually happen, knowing the the hurdles that the AICPA has to overcome in order to make substantial change in the exam. Yeah, I imagine by the time they gather this feedback, process the feedback, come with a plan, implement a plan, will be a decade later and it'll be a whole new, like there'll be a whole new set of problems that we've never even thought, you and I aren't even thinking of right. so far, right? The industry is going to be different in a decade and this discussion will just start over. So, well, and so in terms um, of next steps, the, in the feedback gathering is going to happen throughout the summer. And then there's going to be discussion panels at major meetings and conferences, committee meetings, state boards of accountancy are going to meet and be asked for input. CPA societies will be asked for input. And then at the NASBA annual meeting in AICPA fall council in October, that's when the two groups will present what they heard along with recommended next steps. Ultimately, going back to the question, like, do you need your CPA or do you want your CPA? Yeah. If you have your CPA, you kind of don't care about that question because eventually the supply of CPAs is going to keep shrinking, which in theory should drive your value up and your demand up. Only if the CPA continues to hold value in the, you know, in perceived value among the general public, investors, stakeholders, other accountants. If, you know, part of the reason the CPA is so so important is because it has been so dominant for so long. So I don't know if that's really a good thing, right? Sometimes what I, what may seem to be good for me as an individual isn't good for the license overall, right? I would rather see more CPAs. Like, I mean, it, there was a golden age when everybody in accounting, that was the path they took, right? You, you went to school, mm -hmm. yep. you sat for CPA exam, you got your job, 
hopefully at a big four. And you did, you know, that was it. That was the big, that was the path. And that path has been disrupted. And it's, I mean, there's this whole broader discussion about perhaps even the whole model of how the big four work and that whole pathway is falling apart because of automation and AI taking away the need for these junior roles where you're basically a glorified intern doing a lot of manual work and learning how things work in an audit as you do that really basic pulling the document out of the folder, verifying it against the transaction ledger. I mean, you know, the- push comes to shove at the end, right? Like the financials have to be signed off by a CPA, but all the work involved doesn't have to be done by right. any CPA. Yes. Is that correct? Well, there's different rules. So yeah. you could actually have a lot less CPAs. You could just have a teeny amount of CPAs signing off on everybody's financials. And that's all they do. You sign off. And part of the reason everybody got their CPA is because if you want to make partner, you had to be a CPA, which is still the case in a lot of states, right? You can't be a partner, but that has loosened up, right? I could actually be a partner in a firm in California without being a CPA, as long as there's enough CPAs. I think it's, gosh, don't quote me on this, but 51% of the firm partners. So you can have a certain percent that aren't. Uh, and it's and just a matter of them being willing. States are loosening yeah. up. You know, then in the, the states are similar. I know Arizona just signed something that if you're a hairstylist and you're licensed, you're a lawyer, you're a CPA, if you move to Arizona, you don't have to get relicensed. They're going to honor your That's license, cool. just like they honor my driver's license if I come in from a different state. That's great. And so if states are starting to loosen up these requirements a little bit, maybe the next step will be like, hey, you can become a partner and not be a CPA. Yeah. So and I think that's, lots of news on that. That's going to ex- accelerate or the number of non-CPAs uh, is going to continue to grow. Uh, and uh, Rachel Fish, while I was at Engage, she shared a great stat with us. Uh, and I'm going to try to find that right now. Um, yes, here it is. So Rachel, last week or the week before, was at a presentation and tweeted out a a picture of a a slide from an AI CPA survey showing that at top 100 CPA firms, over the last eight years, firm hires with CPAs, that's increased 4%. You know, that's in line with growth of a a large firm. But non-CPA hires have increased over 10%. So over twice as much growth in hiring of non-CPAs at big at top 100 firms. And who are these firms hiring? It appears to be data analysts and technicians. So, so even the firms themselves don't care. They don't want to hire CPAs. I mean, I think they want to, but they, you know, the okay. people that have the skills that they need aren't CPAs. And this is going to continue because, uh, and probably even for positions where you normally would want a CPA, because according to the 2019 PCPS CPA firm top issue survey, which was also released at Engage 2019. Uh, the, do you want to guess what the uh, top concern of every single firm with two or more professionals is? Uh, pr- I mean, based on previous stories you brought up, I'm going to guess something labor related, hiring, finding staff. qualified staff. It's the the top concern of every single firm with two or more professionals. So everybody but sole practitioners. And of course, sole practitioners aren't worried about hiring because they're just working for themselves. This was also the top concern in 2017, finding qualified staff. So it's hard to find good people to work at your firm. You're going to start loosening up those requirements. You're not going to require the CPA. Uh, If the CPA is particularly hard to get, fewer people will get it. You're not going to be able to demand it. 
that's going to potentially put at risk, I think, the dominance of the CPA. So I am I'm hopeful that the AICPA and ASBA will be able to turn things around. I'm not hopeful that it will happen fast enough. And I think the demographic shifts are against us. So unfortunately, I'm, I'm normally a pretty optimistic person, but I'm concerned. As a CPA who took all the time <laughs> and put in the money and effort to get it, I am worried. I am concerned. So I'm going to fill out this uh, survey at evolutionofcpa.org, and I encourage all of our listeners who have an opinion on this to also go do that because you know the AICPA needs to hear from people who are non-traditional, people who are focusing on technology. And I know there's plenty of our listeners, Patty Scharf, great example of somebody who has uh, deliberately structured her firm to not be a CPA firm, even though she's a CPA because of the hassles and she doesn't need it to be a CPA firm in order to do what she does. I think that that alone, you know, that's anecdotal, but I think there's a lot of folks considering that and that just shows that the the license is not creating the value that it, it once did. All right, so I have a homework assignment for you this weekend. You go by the domain, should I get my cpa.com? <laughs> and you can spin up this spreadsheet on there and you could put a bunch of ads for a cloud accounting podcast and it'll be a good SEO right. driver. I like you, it. Yeah, I'll give you an assignment this week. So, well, you, well, yes, the demise of the CPA. No, 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 no. don't say right, demise is, of the CPA. News. I don't want to make news that way. <laughs> Okay. Well, there was bigger news, believe it or not. Like super, super big news oh, happened this week. Uh, yeah. Besides that. Um, so there's a cloud accounting product out there called Wave. I don't know if all our listeners have, have heard about Wave. They're based out of Toronto. Wave was always kind of a, their, their, their play was they were a free accounting software app that ran Google ads in your margin. And so they've been growing and chugging along for a decade, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away at this. Uh, they've had, they've, I don't want, like literally, no pun intended, have been riding a wave, right? They, they've struggled, they've downsized, they grew again, they've added payroll, they've been up and down, and they've started to fiddle with tax a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, H&R Block acquired them this week. Um, and that amount is $405 million, no less, which is no, nothing to sneeze at considering that uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Wave raised something like eighty million dollars. So not a not a bad outcome. No, and the the it's a it makes sense, right? In this world of uh, TurboTax or QuickBooks Live and TurboTax Live, and people wanting a one stop shop to get their bookkeeping and tax, or Pilot's going to add tax, right? A lot of these uh, startups we yep. talked about in the past. So it does make sense. Like like H and Block probably wants to offer both bookkeeping and tax under one roof, yeah. right? All at once. Even we talked about this last week with yep. ATAX, right? They're going after uh, the Latinx community yep. to do full service, right? If you go back to like the first H&R Block ad ever ran, I think you could get your taxes and your business's bookkeeping all done for $7.33 a month or something, right? So, so they've wanted to do that forever. They kind of got away from it and now they bought an accounting package to get back to doing it. Well, and we know that they've been thinking about this or trying to figure out how to do this for a long time because H&R Block did create a partnership with Zero. Clearly that didn't that didn't work out or I don't know what they're planning to do. April 30th of 2014, so that's just yeah. over 5 years ago. Uh they announced that uh, par uh a partnership with Zero. And ultimately it's like a lot of it's the same talk that they have in the press releases about the acquisition here. Yeah. Um, so this leads to that bigger question now, and I kind of push it on you, right? You're the one who four years ago yeah. was heavily involved in Zero World, right? When that, that was announced. Like my gut is it's um, culture. Well, like the, the the hot tech startup, the old H&R Block, and like, like the, did the cultures ever fit? And then it makes me wonder, 
is that going to happen again? Do the cultures fit? Well, here's what here's what I am going to totally just predict and guess is going to happen. I think that H&R Block sees an existential threat from Intuit TurboTax and TurboTax Live and now QuickBooks Live. And you've been talking about this, David. You called this out, right? That in the stats, TurboTax Live is getting most of its new customers, something like 70% of its new customers are coming from retail, traditional uh, assisted prep, which is mostly places like H&R Block. Yeah. So instead of me getting my assisted, my assistance, driving my car to a brick and mortar and get my assistance there from the comfort of my living room, my couch, I can get assistance through my webcam. So that's stealing business like crazy from H&R Block, obviously, and they need a way to counter that. So they need their own way to create a funnel for tax. Uh, and they have their own assisted offering, but now QuickBooks Live is is going to make that even harder, right? Because we haven't really even talked about this, but I see QuickBooks Live as being a huge driver into TurboTax Live. They're going to be using the same personnel. We've talked about how Intuit is hiring 500 more QuickBooks Live staffers. Most of those people are going to come from the existing TurboTax Live. And actually, I was at Engage, David, and I stopped by the the booth into it had a booth at engage recruiting I saw a picture of that yes. I saw a picture of that on, on social media we need to make sure we get that in the show notes so people can see this send that to me uh, so TurboTax live was at engage with a booth recruiting tax professionals so I stopped by and I, I, I said who I was they didn't know who I was so thankfully we're not popular enough for them to uh, not talk to me <laughs> And they didn't know who the cloud they accounting podcast. They didn't know the was. cloud accounting podcast, and so I said, "Hey, I'm, I'm Blake Oliver. I'm a CPA, and you know, I, I heard that you're hiring for TurboTax Live." And what's well, not even heard? They had a sign, like a gigantic, a big sign eight saying, eight "We are hiring." That said, "We're yeah." yeah well, okay. I, so I said, uh, "You're hiring for TurboTax Live. I'm interested." Oh, and I also heard that you're hiring for uh, bookkeeping, QuickBooks, because that's my specialty. I'm not a tax person. I'm a I'm a client accounting services person, and I'm interested in making some extra money on the side. And so I found out uh, as many details as I could get. Uh, the, the, the pay was something I was really interested in. And she couldn't tell me exactly the pay. The woman working at the booth couldn't tell me exactly the pay. She said, she said it should be very similar to TurboTax Live, which in California, she told me, is $26 to uh, $28 uh, per hour. We can extrapolate and say, well, if it's these TurboTax Live people that are going to be working for QuickBooks Live, it can't be that different because they're going to work during tax season at TurboTax Live, and then they're going to go look, be looking for work the rest of the year, and that'll probably be QuickBooks Live, right? You know, if they got paid too much different, it would be weird. So now we know what they're going to get paid, which is if you multiply that, you know, full-time, it's, it's uh, what, less than $60,000 a year? So as we expected, not too great for a full-time gig, but um, Rich Priest said he doesn't expect people to be doing this full-time. This is more like supplementary income, right? Like part-time Uber driving, right? Uh, so anyway, that was my experience. Went there and I, I actually put in my name to get more information uh, about QuickBooks Live when it does go live. So now that I've said this on the podcast, somebody from Intuit, if they're listening, will probably go and scrub my name for that list. But uh, it was uh, it was fun to go find out more information. Yeah, and uh, we'll, I promise you we will find this picture. <laughs> and it was it was on LinkedIn. And the yeah. Intuit recruiter put the picture of the Intuit booth on there. And, and they said they're hiring. And they listed. It was Pro Series. It was TurboTax. It was QuickBooks Live. I actually asked you to, to pick me up some TurboTax Live sunglasses. Did you happen to do that for me or not? Oh, no, I didn't. I'm sorry. No? All right, all right. You'll have to get right. those that's at Scaling New Heights. Be. 
I don't think TurboTax Live will be there. Oh, yeah. it's going to heights. It's 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 very QuickBooks focused. You think there'll it's be a ZeroCon? Really I feel like they won't be there. Yeah, probably won't be there. But <laughs> we'll, yes, I, so so if any of you into it is listening, and there's some Turbo, uh, TurboTax Live sunglasses laying around, I'd love to to get a hold of those. Um, uh, but we were yeah, like, but we were talking about H and R Block and Wave, and I feel like there's more to talk about there. Maybe so so yeah so. Well, so, okay, here's how I see it happening. You didn't say your prediction. Yeah, you you, you laid this out. You set the table. What's the prediction? Okay, so my prediction is that uh, the reason, well, I I don't know this because I wasn't involved in the whole H&R Block and Zero thing, but I think the reason it didn't work out is because they were, like you said, uh, different cultures and also two very strong brands. What I think H&R Block really needs is their own bookkeeping app. And I think they're going to take Wave and rebrand it and make it H&R Block Bookkeeping or something like that, or maybe H&R Block Wave. It'll be, it'll look like H&R Block, have all their color scheme, you know, branding, all that, and it'll be part of their site. That makes a lot of sense to me, you know. Which they can do now because they own it. Yeah, it's not a partnership. They owned yeah. it. It's not a partnership. They have full control. And honestly, you know, criticize Wave all you want, and there are plenty of people doing that on Twitter, saying that it's crappy, that it doesn't have all the tools accountants need. Well, that's because it was built for business owners, not for accountants. And business owners just need to do some really simple things and get what they need, you know, on a cash basis to file their taxes. And yeah, it's it's easy to do that and it's free and efficient. And, you know, honestly, like QuickBooks and Zero are hard. And that's the reason that you have a QuickBooks Live even existing is because it's too hard for most business owners to do on their own, no matter how much it likes to say that you can do it all on your own. I mean, that's why the whole ProAdvisor network exists is because it's too hard to do on your own. Whereas with Wave, I don't know how correct the books are, but it's not. most people don't need uh, an advisor to help them use Wave or to use a similar product, which is um, FreshBooks. Well, I, I think, and we've talked about this before, there, there's a vast number of small businesses, and we can tell because that's what all this, these startup VC-funded startups are chasing, a vast number of small businesses that just want their books done enough to get their tax returns done. Yeah. And that's it. They don't, they don't care about monthly financials. They're not doing quarterly quarter reports. They could care less about somebody advising them. They just want to make sure their taxes get pumped out properly. Yeah. And the products like Wave allow them to do that for free or cheap. You could, I couldn't have said it better. That's perfect. It'll be interesting. Do you, so back in your day when you were like the, uh, cause you were saying if people are, are new to the podcast, you were the very first zero. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but essentially the very first pro advisor for zero in the United States. Yeah, I was one of the first two. I like I say I'm not sure if I was. I think I was number two. That's what I say. So there was somebody in uh, okay, somebody so in New York had done it before me. I was the second person to get certified and listed on the website, right, as a bookkeeper. So, so do you remember when HR Block did go through the dating phase yeah, with yeah. zero and like announce this partnership? Yeah, I remember okay. that and. You know, I, I thought it was a really big deal at the time, but the problem h Block has is, you know, they're a franchise network. And so to get all the individual franchises on board with this new software that is, you know, takes training, right? You got to do at least an all day certification. And then after that, you have to uh, spend more time learning all the different features. And that's just a huge Herculean task and I think is a barrier to entry. Same thing if, if they try to do it with Intuit or QuickBooks, right? It's still hard. Uh, whereas with like a wave, it's not. It, like, and the deals like this look great on paper, and then it's like harder to execute. Yeah. Right. And I, I remember going through that, you know, uh, my experience with Intuit on the payroll team. I think at one time there's a big deal with um, Bank of America, right? And yeah, it's, it's great. Like Bank of America is going to sell the payroll product or whatever, right? But the reality was is that person at the counter at, at Bank of America 
might have 60 people come to the counter that day. And 59 of them, if not all 60, are just consumers. They're not small businesses. Mm -hmm. So anything that person needs to know about small business offerings and products, (laughs) they just don't pay attention to because they they didn't ever need to use it. And so, so even though at some level it's a great announcement, the execution is different. And you're right. I could see where, because they didn't own this, right? There's, there's no vested interest in zero. Why maybe that partnership didn't work the way everybody hoped four years, five years ago. Yeah. And it's an additional expense for the franchisees, right? To roll it out. Cause there's a subscription fee where now they own it. H&R Block Corporate can just give this away for free to all their franchisees to grow this. So uh, from a financial point of view, it makes a lot of sense. And, and, and congratulations to the uh, Way founders. Yeah. Um, you know, instead of getting their CPA, they went and started an accounting software package. Oh, is that really the story? <laughs> I love. <laughs> no, I don't know. I just, I just said that. I mean, they had the option, right? They could have became CPAs, right? They, they, it was that option's always been on the table. Right? Oh, and so, something we didn't mention is they're in uh, based in Toronto, right? So this is a Canadian success story here, and. Um, yeah, HubDoc was based in Toronto, so maybe there's gonna be a big raid. It's kind of like when uh, Nirvana hit and Pearl Jam hit, and all the Seattle bands got signed. Well, and is so, FreshBooks is are they also in Toronto? Or are they some? They're that's also crazy. In Toronto? So the two biggest small business uh, accounting apps, right? Like designed for a very small, you know, some people will call them micro businesses, are out of Canada. There's a lot about a lot, lot in Toronto. Toronto is a huge, huge, huge tech hub for sure. Uh, so let's 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 okay. play this prediction game, right? So we're we're going yes. to ZeroCon next week, right? And, and news news has been quiet for QuickBooks and Zero to some extent, right? Um, I do have an article about Zero, a news article. Um, actually, we'll jump into that news article first, then we'll we'll go there because you just mentioned HubDoc. Okay. So Zero uh, has appointed. One of the Jamie's, so the HubDoc co-founder, Jamie McDonald, is now going to lead accounting and global services at um, at Zero, And really, the, uh, the this focus is going to be on automation intelligence as a core focus of every Zero product, not just HubDoc. So all that experience HubDoc, he, he, he gained with HubDoc with automation, mm-hmm. right, and, and, and uh, intelligence, he's now in, kind of in charge of rolling that out across all of Zero's products. And we're going to interview him next week when we're at ZeroCon. I am so excited to learn about that and what his plans are. And congratulations, Jamie. So so my question to you, though, is obviously QuickBooks Live's news. It's been one of the mm-hmm. biggest stories of the year. This H&R Block uh, wave deal, right, which you say is a direct reaction to that. Do we see maybe at ZeroCon next week or maybe in the future, is Zero going to have to get in bed <laughs> At a, at a high level with a tax product. Oh, I thought you were going to ask, are they going to get into bookkeeping? And um, no. so Or even that, right? Like, 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 like are they going to have to react to these? These are major announcements. Happening. Yeah, I went over and chatted with my uh, buddies at the Zero booth, um, Alicia uh, in particular. And oh, that's right, because they were, yeah, they the, were there. And, and you know, I, I brought up that idea that I said that, you know, David says that uh, Zero is going to get into uh you know, bookkeeping services like QuickBooks Live, eventually it's inevitable. And uh, Alicia made a good point, which is that, you know, where Zero comes from in Australia and New Zealand, uh, the ch- channel by which they reach small businesses is an, almost entirely through accountants. Yep. And so it would be insane for them to disrupt that. Whereas Intuit has a completely different model where they sell direct to small businesses. They always have. They started out selling QuickBooks as a way to uh, do your own accounting, 
right? So you don't have to hire your accounting firm to do it. Uh, and, and you know, that's why you see QuickBooks in, at Office Depot on the shelf there. So the very different model, I don't see that ever happening. I do think that it would be crazy if they didn't get into the tax prep game. Just thinking back to our episode with Laurelyn Wilson, she talked about how amazing the integration is between QuickBooks Online and the Intuit tax product she uses. Uh, I think it's one of the ProConnect products uh, and how that saves her hours and hours every tax return. Like that is the sort of thing that will get accountants in the U.S. who are mainly focused on tax, right, in the small business space into using Zero. So I think that has to happen. And I think Zero understands that because Zero owns work papers in Australia, and I think it's a it, it's a huge competitive advantage. Yeah, for Zero in in Australia. So I think we have to ask about that, right? Like, is there, when is Zero going to either build a partnership with a tax product that makes it seamless, or buy something, or do their own? I mean, we may not get answers, but we got to ask. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always thought too, you know, especially when I was, when I was at Intuit and Intuit's an open platform, right? Like I always thought like one day, like maybe zero ties into ProTax, huh. right? Into the, into the whole Intuit's tax ecosystem. That would be amazing. Right? Hard to picture that happening. It is, but you know, think about this. HubDoc is in QuickBooks Online app yeah. store. I actually, in my QuickBooks Online, HubDoc was like on my homepage <laughs> inside of QuickBooks Online. That's a company oh. owned by Zero and is on the homepage of my QuickBooks Online. And TurboTax is all, is on the Zero websites. Or TurboTax, sorry, um, T Sheets. That's true, right? Who's owned by Intuit is on Zero's website. So I don't think it's as far fetched as you, as you could imagine. Like, yeah. um, if if five years ago, if you would have said Intuit would be working closely with ADP. And paychecks both at that's the same true. time, you would have said no way. Yeah, and I think that's a great perspective, David. As you say very often, as you remind us all, the the total addressable market is gigantic for cloud accounting. And QuickBooks Desktop never even got to a significant percentage of the all the businesses in the US. So like to think of this as uh, you know, two companies fighting for the market is not true. It's that like you can compete and you can grow the whole total market together. And every, and you said like, even if zero completely failed to disrupt into it and only got 10% of the global market, they'd still be bigger than into it ever was in the day of QuickBooks desktop. Yep. So absolutely. So absolutely. plenty of room for many, many, many competitors, which is what we want in a global economy. We don't want just one company building all the software or there's no innovation. You know, it sucks for the consumers, sucks for the accountants, sucks for the developers who have you know only one company to work for, right? We want, I would love to see 10 really good small business general ledgers. That would be awesome. And then there would be a real need for the Cloud Accounting Podcast to keep it all straight. <laughs> because, but, but that's you saying that not as somebody in practice right now. No. Like, could you imagine if, if you know, if you had 10 clients and 10 different GLs. <laughs> well, like, no, you'd be, you'd I mean, and we do have that actually, uh, you know, in specialized solutions, like in the mid market, right? There's like so many different ERP systems for d every industry. And maybe that's what we'll see, right? Is these specialized uh, general ledger applications for small businesses in different, um, different areas. And you have your finger on the pulse of that, David. Well, uh, we're doing a Facebook live with, uh, with BQE core mm -hmm. and core is kind of a niche app. You know, uh, engineers, architecture firms, things like that, like professional services, they have a GL built into their app. So they connect to QuickBooks and Zero, and they do all that, but then they have a huh. GL in their app. So when we release that podcast, people can learn more about that. But that's awesome. The GLs are popping up everywhere. It's the commodity now. GLs are a commodity. Well, so much food for thought in this episode. I think we've reached our limit. 
If people want to connect with you, David, where's the best place for them to do that? Uh, Twitter's going to be the easiest. I'm at David Leary. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. And if you're going to be at ZeroCon, look us up and tweet at us. We want to say hi. And I'll be at Scaling New Heights. So, you know, next week, everybody on on the QuickBooks world can find me and at Zero is going to be able to find us. So we have a, we should have a fun, fun next seven or eight days. Are you driving there or flying or how are you getting to? San Diego is only, you know, two and a half hours away. So I'm definitely driving. It's a beautiful beautiful drive too. Yep. I'll see you there. I will see you there as well. Bye everybody. Bye.